Tonight as we end the day talking about um, really difficult situations, crisis moments, um, this is a topic that I think every one of us would be able to identify with. And if you see needs of change in your life, then this is where we would need to start this evening. Lord Jesus, I pray as we talk about this topic that you would uh, give us insight. Um, Lord, maybe help us see verses we've known and read many years, uh, but yet really never have truly applied them. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak through this stammering tongue uh, tonight, and I pray that you would touch hearts. Um, Lord, change me as we look through this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first ministry where my wife and I served uh, was in Stone Mountain, Georgia. We only had two kids at the time, uh, my oldest two children, Abby and April, and the Lord, I was teaching in a Christian school then, and so the Lord allowed us to have a just a basic home to begin with. But there in Georgia, everyone that we lived around had a garden in their backyard. So my wife said, Chris, I would love to have a garden. So I said, okay. So I borrowed a tiller, took it into the backyard as I'm looking at all my, our neighbors. Okay, this can't be that hard. Um, but then when I started tilling, I found out that the soil is just like what the name of the city we lived in was. Stone. Stone Mountain. I'm telling you, normally a tiller will go down into that dirt, right, and till up the ground. It barely scratched the surface, and that thing started jerking me around the backyard backwards and forwards, and I was getting nowhere. Finally, I was able to get down a couple of inches, and I thought, that should do it. So I planted carrots and tomatoes and corn and could not wait to see what would happen. It was the absolute most pitiful harvest I've ever seen in my life. The tomatoes didn't make it. There was nothing left of the tomatoes. The carrots, you could just barely make out what it was. The corn, no lie, it was about an inch long. And I failed miserably. Now, maybe some of you here that are gardeners can tell me what my problem was. What was my problem? Should have moved somewhere else? Is that what you said? <laughs> the soil. You know what? I found that out afterwards. I did some research after that, and what I found out was that good soil is the foundation for healthy plants. Soil provides what? Nutrients, water, even air. And soil stabilizes the roots of those plants. Also, soil assists the plants, um, assists their natural ability to resist disease. It's the, it's the key to growing. Anything is the good soil. If you're in need of any type of spiritual renewal, it's essential that you have good soil in the heart. You can read a million verses, you can memorize a million verses, but if the heart is not prepared to receive it, it's going to be a waste of time. So tonight, I would like to talk about the heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says this, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man is what? Inward man is our heart. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, 
worketh for a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So what that tells me is that if we are caring for our heart, all of these crisis moments we talked about this morning and the trials, they will work to our favor in eternity. But if our heart is not prepared to face those in the right way, then we will respond the wrong way and we will lose rewards in heaven. If we ignore the condition of our heart, if we prioritize other activities and value those activities, even ministry, more than our personal walk with the Lord, then we will begin to have heart problems. Over time, you will feel the neglect of the lifeblood of every Christian, the personal time in the Word, just you and God. This will give us the nourishment and also help us align ourselves under what God's will is for our lives. Tonight, first of all, just, just define it. What is the heart? There are several Hebrew Greek words that describe the heart, but basically they all boil down to this. The heart is the core of who we are and the command center of our lives. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Another way to say this is out of the overflow of the heart, we think, we speak, we act, we feel, and we do. There are some great things the heart can do, aren't there? The heart can believe, the heart can love, the heart can have faith, the heart can remember, the heart can discover, the heart can see, you can see with your heart. Um, the heart can meditate, the heart can grieve. It's a good thing. The heart can love. The heart can give. The heart can pray. The heart can rejoice. The heart can sing. The heart can be faithful. The heart can walk uprightly. And the heart can seek God and believe. But at the same time, there are some pretty bad things the heart can do. The heart can fear. The heart can hate. The heart can become proud. The heart can deceive. The heart can lust. The heart can worship idols. The heart can become hardened toward God. And the heart can even deceive you, yourself. My heart is my disposition. Every word that I've chosen tonight, brothers and sisters, is on purpose. Because it goes against what our modern culture tells us. The heart is your disposition. It's how I think about life. My heart is, are the decisions that I make in life. It's exactly what the scripture says the heart is. It's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It also is my inclinations. It's my resolutions. Why am I inclined a certain way? To respond a certain way. Secular culture would say, well, that's just your personality. You have certain inclinations because that's who you are. Well, but the Bible says that's what our heart is biblically. It's your inclinations. You're inclined a certain way because your heart is inclined that way. That's why I make the decisions I do. It's what drives me as a person. That's my heart. When the war in Ukraine began, I did a little bit of reading and research on that, and I came across an article that talked about the command and control and how that is so important in the military. 
I'm sure we've got military men here, right? Or women, anybody in the military? I'm sure I'm wrong. Okay, police department. All right. Is that not true? Command and control, that's how you work from. And if that breaks down, you're in chaos, especially in a crisis. In the military, I began to do some research and I found out the countless activities a military force must perform is based on that command and control that gives direction, that gives them the, um, the communication to be able to accomplish their mission. Um, done poorly, it invites disaster even if you're fighting against a weaker enemy. No command and control, you're done. That's why Russia is having such a hard time in Ukraine. Because Putin ignored the pre-war evaluation that said the Ukrainians in their history... They aren't going to lay down. They're going to resist, and it will not be an easy task to overtake them. They ignored it, and how long has it been now? Two years? Yeah. Command and control. Well, your heart is your command and control for your life. If your heart's not right, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how wise you are or conniving or manipulative you are, manipulative, you're going to end up in the wrong place because that command and control center is faulty. And the worst part about it is you won't even realize it. You'll think you're doing right. But because your heart is not right, you will end up right. That's why this verse that everybody knows is so important. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues, or in other words, the source of life. Everything that has to do with life depends upon your heart. The Hebrew word for, for keep here is the word natsar or a synonym of shamar. And this is what it means. To keep your heart means to guard, to tend it as in a garden, to watch over it, to, um, to keep it like a vineyard. Um, that's why I started with that illustration. I was not wise in tending to that soil in that garden and it didn't grow. We're foolish if we ignore this instruction. Probably say it many times tonight. It matters not what you know. Amen. It matters your heart and what you do with what you know. Amen. Tending to our hearts requires, number one, examining the heart. Examining the heart. <clears throat> this is a habit that all of us should have. It's highly undervalued because it is so unseen. To do the hard work of examining your heart, nobody sees it. So therefore, we, some of us don't put effort into that because it's not public. Why is it so hard for many Christians who've been saved for years, many pastors? Pastors, as we prepare to preach, we study a lot to give out. But why is it so hard for us to examine our heart and to really care for and tend our heart. What kind of a heart would cause us not to examine our heart? What do you think? Pride? What else? I heard somebody say something. Blind? Busy? How about um, overgrown heart maybe? You've got things in there that just have, that you know? are there, and you really don't really want to go deep into that. Because if you go there, you know you're going to have to deal with them. 
So it's better just to not tend it and not keep it and ignore it. However, the Bible calls that type of person a fool. Go in your Bibles to Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. If we don't regularly take time to examine our heart, this is what Scripture says about us. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath, or the dry brush in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Have you been there before? When you haven't cared for your heart, and the Christian life is just dry? Wilderness, nothing, nothing is fruitful, it's just barren. Well, it goes on to say, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and in whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Then why does he go directly from that into the heart is deceitful above all things? And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brothers and sisters, we can't even know our own heart. Then what should we do? He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The heart affects directly what you do. Your inclinations, your disposition, your decisions. That's why... In Lamentations 3, and I didn't really make the connection between what we studied this morning till now, till I was studying this this afternoon. Lamentations 3.40 says this. In the midst of all that discouragement and even depression, let's search and try our ways and turn again unto the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, examination is essential, especially because the culture has distorted our hearts. More than we can even know. Stay with me here for just a moment. Our current culture is continually bombarding us and our children and our teenagers on every source of media, deceit and lies. They tell us that life is all about me. Have you ever heard of expressive individualism? I don't have time to go into that, but that is the underlying message that I can set my own rules, I am my own truth, nobody else can tell me what truth is, I know what's right for me, and therefore that's my decision, what's right for me. Um, many spiritual leaders with hearts for God have fallen into error or stagnation or even have self-destructed morally, and others have gone into heresy, others that were straight down the line have moved into heresy. Why? Because their heart was not cared for. The path for renewal for your heart is not a formula. I wish it was. I wish it could be do A, B, and then you'll get C. We're not computers. We're living and breathing hearts, and we choose. Mark Sayers says this of spiritual renewal. He says, 
Spiritual renewal must be centered on our hearts being changed by God. It must, now listen to this, it must replace the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement with the spirit-spilled faith of biblical Christianity. Isn't that true about America? Lifestyle enhancement is what we're after rather than Christ-spirit-filled faith as we walk this life. Spiritual renewal must offer the renewal of Christ's likeness to those being deformed by our culture in the deepest parts of their hearts. We need a new generation of Christians who are engaged in mission, kingdom vocational living, cultural engagement, and biblical justice. Filled with his spirit, formed by the way of Jesus, and shaped by heavenly wisdom. It's all about the heart. So what must we do? We must care for the heart. We must be intentional about caring for the heart. One of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, if you don't know him, look him up. He's dead now, but his books talk about the heart all the time. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, he said this, a person with a well-kept heart is a person who is prepared for and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. Reflect on that for just a moment. So is the opposite not true? A person that's not caring for his heart, no matter what vocation they are, even full-time ministry, is not prepared and sometimes not even capable of responding to the situations of life in a way that pleases God. This doesn't mean that you respond perfectly in every situation because we're broken people. We're going to have to be, be repentant of some of our actions and reactions. What it does mean is that what some believers manage to do in just a few areas of their life, if you care for your heart, you'll be able to manage generally in most areas of your life on a consistent basis. This means that, let's get really practical here, this means that I will respond to my spouse with the same courtesy and eagerness to listen that I do to my boss. Okay? Chris, that's not real. <laughs> okay. This means that I will respond differently when someone cuts me off in traffic, which has happened to me about 10 times yesterday and today. This means I will not be as defensive when criticized for something that I did wrong. This means I won't be manipulative when someone doesn't do something my way. So how do we care for our heart? If that is our bent, how do we prepare our heart to face the situations of life? Very simple. Four ways tonight we can care for our heart and then we'll be done. First of all, this is where it all starts, brothers and sisters. We've got to repent. Got to repent. Got to repent. We must repent. God prepares the soil of our heart by that conviction. And conviction can come from a song. It can come from a sermon. It can come from a podcast. It can come from discussion with your spouse. It can come from failure. When that holy conviction comes, it's the Holy Spirit who is the perfect command and control person who's going to lead you into the way of life. He's in our heart to help us fight our flesh. What was accepted before in our hearts and in our lives can no longer be tolerated at all. Sin must be discovered and exposed and dealt with. 
We don't excuse our sins anymore by saying, that's just the way I am. That's how I was raised. We must welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it will break down the flesh and that resistance it gives. Revelation 2, 4, and 5. You know this, don't you? It says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick or thy influence out of this place unless except you repent. Next, place a high value on, personal, on your personal walk with the Lord. Got to get back to that. That's where it all goes off the rails. Amen. Pastor, 95% of the ministry leaders that come to us for help, 95%, this is where it started. Because we're so focused on the public ministry that we don't care for our private walk with the Lord. Many of us are familiar with the word. Sometimes we become so familiar that we often deceive ourselves. We think we know it, and because we know it, we think we are that. But we don't take the time to evaluate and seek input from others on how we really are doing. The busyness of life. Are we busier now than we were before COVID? It feels like that to me. The, the projects we have to do, the social events, the maintaining your marriage, the uh, misplaced priorities. Uh, the one area that is grossly undervalued is our time with the Lord. And the only person we can blame on it is ourselves. A secular organizational expert, Tim Ferriss, said this. Most often, a lack of time, time pressures, rushing, scrambling to finish things, busyness, is simply a lack of priorities. We can choose to spend our time differently on things that are more important and ditch the things that aren't, thereby freeing up our time and energy. We choose to be busy or rushed and we can choose otherwise. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm one of the worst at this. I can be honest with you. So many pressing things are on our life. I was talking to someone this morning that, man, the time, the time to be able to do this. Yeah, there is no easy solution for this. Sometimes it's simplifying. Sometimes it's getting rid of peripheral things that aren't really that important that just waste our time so we can spend time on the most important. Sometimes it's just taking the 10 minutes that we have and focusing on our heart rather than scrolling or Amen. listening to something that doesn't build us up spiritually. Whatever it is, talk to someone. Have them speak into your life. Hire a personal coach, time coach, for just a few months. If that is so important to you that you care for your heart and your walk with the Lord, we will spend money. We will do whatever it takes to take care of that priority in our life. Next, develop a plan for specific areas that you need to change. Do you know what needs to change? Oh, that's hard sometimes. My wife, she can, right away, she knows what needs to change. I will deliberate and deliberate and deliberate that I can't figure it out. So I go to her. Honey, sometimes that's very risky. What needs to change? So glad you asked, honey. Boom, 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 boom. But you know what? If I truly want my heart to be cared for, I'll open myself up to that. Changing is one of the hardest things to do in our life. But the very best way to care for your heart is understanding how to change biblically. I've been to the altar many, many times. Made many decisions there that has 
changed the course of my life. But very few times has coming to the altar, just coming to the altar, brought about any change in my heart. I wish it were so true that I could come down to the altar and zap. I would stop it. But that's not what the Bible says, the way change takes place. This verse, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, shows us the only way, the only way, and I'm not saying that hesitantly, the only way Scripture says you can change is right here. That you put off concerning the former conversation, that's just the old way of life that's dominated by the flesh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. So putting off, putting on, but the hard work is right in the middle there. Amen. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is revival right there. Revival is spiritual renewal that take, takes place on how you view your sin and your thinking and your bents and your personality. You know, what do we need to change? Well, some things, I'm just going to tell you some things that I need to change. From the time I was a teenager, my parents started talking into this. And then when I got married, my wife and I began to discuss these things. Um, and my temptation has always been to say, well, honey, I was raised in North Carolina. That's just how I am. Just how we are there. Um, that's the problem. For example, not looking at people when they speak to you. That's a habit. You ever talk to someone? And you say, what did you mean by that statement? Well, I was just, and they won't look at you in the eye. That's respect. That's just common courtesy to look at someone where they're talking to you. But if it's a habit, you won't even know it unless somebody says, hey, look at me when you're talking to me. It's just respect. How about interrupting other people? when they're talking. You know anybody that does that? Well, honey, today when, I, this is why that, and then you just can't even get it out. They won't let you talk. And that's either out loud or in your head. You're preparing what you're going to say back to them next. So you're not really listening to them. How about looking around at other people when someone is speaking to you? The person you're speaking to, you don't really value that much. And so you're looking to talk to the important people. And so you're looking around. How about this? Shutting down when people correct you or speak to you in a way that is crit critical of something you're doing. You just shut them down. How about talking about yourself excessively? Drawing attention to yourself in most circumstances. How about raising your voice and talking over people when the conversation gets heated? In my family, when there was a conflict, we just didn't talk. It got tense, and so everybody shut down. We walked away, and three days later, we came back and pretended like everything was okay. My wife's family, and if she were here, I'd say the same thing. No, it wasn't that way. It was whoever talked the loudest won the argument. How many are in a family like that? Oh, a lot. Okay, good. How about, raise, how about not being able to control your emotions? All of those are areas that need to be put off. To put them off, you must renew how you view that according to Scripture. Is raising your voice and talking over people sinful? 
It's not a trick question. Yeah, I think it is because Ephesians 4.30 says, put off anger, bitterness, wrath, evil speaking, malice. So I would think that would be sinful. Why is that so offensive to God? Because what is God like? He is, we saw this morning, tenderhearted, compassionate. He's filled with grace and goodness and loving kindness. That's what we need to put on. You see, it's more than just coming to the altar. It's coming to the altar, repenting, and then doing the hard, strenuous work of putting off and renewing your mind on that sin. That's how change happens biblically. Where does the heart play into this? Um, well, have you ever tried to change a habit like that? It's not easy. Here's a statement by the father of psychology, William James. Tell me what you think about it. And most of us, by the age of 30, the character has been set like plaster and will never soften again. What do you think? That is a million times over unbiblical. No, according to my Bible, it says, For the witch calls, we faint not. For though the in outward man perish, that means our flesh is corrupted, our natural mind, our natural way of thinking and responding. Yeah, we faint not, but though our outer man is perishing, it's corrupt, it's, it's causing death everywhere it goes and everywhere we talk. Yet, what's happening to the inward man or the heart? The inward man, the heart, is being renewed day by day unless you're over 30. Right? No. Until the day I die, I pray to God when I'm 85 that I'll still be changing. Because that's what Scripture says I am supposed to do. Yet the inward man is renewed, constantly being changed. This is in the passive voice, which means it's being renewed. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to convict me, and I'm submitting to that conviction through the exposure of my sin to his word. So that's what that renewal looks like. I'm submitting to that conviction. I'm not resisting it. And then he's able to change that because that heart is soft. That soil is prepared to receive that conviction. How? Well, it's going to be hard because our flesh does not want to work hard at anything. Can I get an amen there? Your flesh doesn't want to work hard at anything. So you're going to have to die to that. And put to death the flesh. Especially if nobody's watching you. That is tough. It's only you and God. It's hard work. Not just for our well-being, but also motivated for God's glory and to be a blessing to others. Now, to see this process complete, there's one more element that we need to incorporate. That's, sorry, we don't have time to look at that. Pray for an advocate to walk this journey with you. Pray for someone that you trust that can speak to you and say, hey, I have seen this in you, Chris. It ain't right. What are you thinking? What were you thinking when you said that, when you did that? I'm a preacher. Does anybody have the right to do that to me? Who is my spiritual authority if I'm a pastor? Oh, yeah, the Lord. But what about walking day by day? Because I can deceive myself. My heart's deceitful. So I need to get somebody in my life. Sometimes it's your spouse. But most of the time, it's better to have somebody outside your home that can look at you and say, 
We got to get that heart right. And you can confess to them. Where's my biblical basis for that? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. says, let us consider. What does consider mean? It says, let us perceive or pay attention to each other. To provoke. The word provoke there means to sharpen and even to confront when necessary. Provoking unto what? Or sharpening unto what? Unto love and unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That means church is not just to come, sing, smile, and go home. That means you must develop relationships in here that provoke and and encourage one another and confront one another to love and good works. As the manner of some is, but exhorting. Guess what the word exhorting is? Paracleo. I said that in Spanish, I'm sorry. Paracleo. Where do we get paraclete from? Holy Spirit. So we are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to come beside another, come to one's aid, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Study this verse out. See if it doesn't clearly say to you, you need help from someone else to cause you to to walk in the way you should. Does anybody have the freedom to exhort you? To call you out? Who is your spiritual authority? Who have you set in place to help you guard your heart? Because the heart is deceitful. And getting saved does not change that. You have a new heart that wants now to please the Lord, but our heart is so deceitful, we don't even realize it. Must have people, men and women around you that has access to every area of your life. Nothing hidden. Some of us do, some of us do not. The fears, the doubt, the destructive habits, your desires, somebody needs access to that. If your heart is so deceitful and wicked, then we have to have somebody to help us. If you've got a history of heart disease, you wouldn't dream of missing an appointment with your cardiologist, would you? Mm-mm. Got to make sure I care for my heart there. If you had an ACL surgery, I've had three of those. Played basketball in college, but life takes over. Three ACL surgeries. You wouldn't think of missing a physical therapy appointment. I'm telling you what, if you've ever had that and you don't do physical therapy, it's the rest of your life. You will feel the repercussions of that. In the same way, you've got to prioritize a relationship and find time somewhere in your schedule to make a priority to have that one-on-one, Colossians 3.16, admonishing one another relationship with someone else. If you don't, there will be deadly spiritual repercussions. And when you're 25 and 30, you may not see it. When you're 35 and 40, and it goes on for years, and you think you're going to miss it, then you'll be the first person in the history of the world who does not reap what they sow. Don't deceive yourself. You can't avoid it. You must Care for your heart. This morning I mentioned my daughter-in-law, Tony. That was the tumor in her brain. It took over a quarter of her brain. We noticed that things weren't right in her. Um, She was walking erratically. Her speech was slurred. We began to see these signs that something wasn't right. We had no idea. Finally, she went to her OBGYN, and immediately they ordered a MRI to be taken. And that's what they found. Now, 
Finally, the surgery was successful. I told about that this morning. But there was a cause to her symptoms. It was manifesting itself physically. It was hidden. She didn't even realize it, what was causing it. How foolish would it have been for us and for her and for my son, Zach, to just say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. When it was obvious something was wrong. He, my Zach, I could see Zach saying this. Uh, honey, you're just going to have to deal with that. Don't wanna, we don't have time to deal with that. Um, what if he'd have done that? Devastating. Devastating consequences. Have you noticed things haven't been right in your life? Are there signs? Do you seem to have conflict with everybody? That's not normal for a Christian. It means you need to examine yourself. Well, it's them. Really? There's some ways you've contributed to that. So you need to examine your heart. Are you constantly trying to transform your world into what you want it to be? Or are you conforming your will to the Lord and what he's doing in your life? I urge you to examine yourself, deal with those symptoms, open yourself up for examination. You will begin to change if you submit to God's process of change. This is the question I want to leave with you tonight. Ask yourself this, what am I not doing now? That if I were to start doing it, it would help push me forward on my path to aligning my life with the changes God wants to bring in me. I'm going to take just a minute and I'm going to not talk. I'd love for you to just take a moment and right now examine your heart. Just one thing, what are you not doing now? That if you were to start doing this, <clears throat> it would begin that journey toward aligning yourself up with the changes God wants to bring about in your life. Take just a couple of minutes. All I ask you to do is write one thing down. I would ask you to commit to establishing a new rhythm in your life, the rhythm of caring for your heart spiritually. Do not allow this to go into unhealthy introspection where every single thing you're spending hours picking out wrong things in your life because you'll always find something. I'm talking about logical areas that people may have spoken in your life about. Just deal with that one thing. Begin to start that journey of caring for your heart. Repent of it. Thank God for his forgiveness. First John chapter 1, his blood that cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light, that's when you have fellowship one with another. And then, thank God for his forgiveness, and then gaze on Jesus. Don't gaze on yourself. Gaze on Jesus and follow him to the next step. Your disposition will change. Your personality will change. Who you are will change because your heart is beginning to change. 1 Psalm 139, 23 and 24. You can quote this, right? Search me, O God. 
and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. That's spiritual renewal. And we all can do that if you've got the risen Christ inside of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for caring for us enough to speak truth to us through your holy word. Thank you for caring for us enough to send the Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us. Thank you for caring for us enough to chastise us, to discipline us with your loving hand so that we can enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Father, I pray that our hearts would be turned towards you, that we would take heart to our personal walk with your word and with you, Father. We love you, but we need to change. Father, please help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.